Hello and welcome to Dad Educates Daughter, Series 3, Episode 22. And yet again, this is a week of group spans that didn't quite cut the mustard, so to speak. So before we discuss, I will introduce Rebecca. Hello. Hello, Dad. Cut the mustard. What's saying that? I know. <laughs> didn't make it. <laughs> Flopped. <laughs> That's a new one. I'm going to use that one in my daily life now. So obviously, um, don't need to ask if there was any number ones, because no. that's um, a given um, that there wasn't. So um, how did you find this week compared to the, the previous two? Because obviously this is the third week now of these yeah. these also ran bands. So um, how have you, have you found this week compared to the others? This week's been all right. I found this week a lot easier to listen to compared to other weeks but then there's like parts of it where I'm like okay yeah you can really tell that you're that you haven't made it big the thing that I found it's really hard to place where they would have been like so because I because obviously when in previous episodes and we're doing it chronologically I know whether we're at the beginning mid end of the 80s where these they could come anywhere in the 80s so I kind of it's hard to know who they were up against to know why they didn't make it in that do you know what i mean yeah although there are some where i'm like i can really understand why they didn't make it big um and it's been very in- interesting because i've been reading the comments just because they didn't make it big it's interesting like i remember we discussed to find out what other people think whether other people really like them whether they've actually got a following um and it's crazy to think that these people still have such a big impact on some people from the 80s mm. like reading comments interested it shows that not also it shows that there's not only 80s fans but there's a lot of younger people like maybe even like my age are finding this kind of music just because of how accessible it is so it's crazy how many people are, are like impacted by them even now uh, so i forgot you read the comments so there mm. might have been a giveaway then of what superstar started out in one of these bands oh i don't know oh that's good then okay so yes there's a mega superstar that started out with one of these bands and when i say mega i mean mega i'm looking at my comments but i don't remember seeing any that's fine You'd know if you knew you'd it's one of those that if you'd come across it, you would were know. They, were that's they in how the band? big were that's they in the how band? yes, that's how big this person was. Okay. So we will come to that when we come to the groups. That's something to look forward to that you I have didn't I have across, an so. inkling, but I don't know if I've read the comment wrong. Mm. But I'll just find out. Okay. Well. So I will just um, recap on who you had before we start. So Vicious Pink, mm-hmm. Blue Nile, The Chameleons, Husker Do, or Duh, Do, Breakfast Club, and Act. Yes. Okay, so we shall start with Vicious Pink. Yeah, so I've gone for Simp Pop with these. Um, I think they're a very 
heavy on the synth. So I think that's a given that they're synth pop. If they're not, I'll be shocked. They're a duo. The woman, so it's a female and female. The female's the lead singer, although more of a talker singer. Come across one of those. They rely on the synthesizer a lot. Like the sounds are very big within their music, but they do put in a nice good beat with their music as well. Video, that's one thing this week. Videos have not really been a thing. So what I've done is I've either looked at the covers because that's what's come up instead of videos, or I've Googled them and just gone on Google Images to find pictures of them. Um, so there's not been much on videos this week. Um, nothing really stands out about these. They're not very like 80s looking. On one of their album covers, it was a very like animated picture, like pop art type of um cover and comments that i saw was this sucks i love it and then someone put when it was released bbc radio one wouldn't play it they didn't ban it as they'd learned that banning other artists only increased the sales put putting them into the charts they simply ignored it ironically the bbc now play lots of songs they banned including the sex pistols a certain DJ on London's Capital Radio would play it, but refused to say vicious on the radio. He called them pink phenomena. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I want to know why people didn't like these, because I didn't think anything of them to be banned or not played. I didn't, I'll be honest, I don't know either. I've not come across anything about anything being, um, I don't think, or I don't recall. So, and that's just a comment from a fan. Who knows? Maybe obviously a very um, cult mm. fan. Mm. Okay. So, Vicious Pink were a duo of Brian Hoss on keyboards and Josephine Warden on vocals. Did you yeah, say two that. women? No, I said a female and a male. Oh, okay. That's fine. <laughs> um, they were formed in 1981 in Leeds. They were synth pop new wave band, so well done. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Vicious Pink started out as the backing vocalists for Soft Cell and called oh. themselves Vicious Pink Phenomena. Mm-hmm. They then started recording as artists in their own right, with Moss writing his own materials. So there's, did I say Hoss? Barn Hoss? I think that was me reading my. It's Moss. So yeah, Moss writing his own own materials. Um, their first two singles were My Private Tokyo, released in 1982, and Je Te Am in 1983, um, which were produced by Dave Ball of Doff Cell, who they were the original backing singers mm-hmm. of. Um, however, Dave Ball left after the release of Je Tem due to Soft Cell having an international hit with Tainted Love, just a little song I mean- that they had you know so they then drafted in tony mansfield of new music to become the duo's new producer in 1984 having just had the success with another duo naked eyes in the us who we spoke about last week yes we did so their third single and the first with mansfield was can't you see or CCC Aunt, you see, whichever way you want to look at it, um, which was recorded in Buckinghamshire in Farmyard Studios, along with the two, yes, two 
B-sides. So we've done two B-sides. That's like a like double A we've heard of, not a double B-side. <laughs> exactly. So there are two B-sides on, on, uh, on the single Can't You See. Um, the single was recorded using a Fairlight CMI, which was used to sample Russian choirs from shortwave radio in an effort to diffuse tension. Ah, yes, that's right. So that's why it was obviously, you know, because it was Russian choirs from a shortwave radio in an effort to diffuse tensions caused by the Cold War, which was a major issue at the time. So it might have been on the back that of that. That would have been. I can't remember what song I got that comment from but maybe yeah that, that so then uh, um josephine warden's vocals were then recorded and chopped and assorted into assorted rhythms with moss while moss used a roland uno 60 juno 60 and roland jupiter 8 as well as a lynn drum machine so there's a lot about the synths that they use because mm -hmm. as we know from last last week so naked eyes were seen as pioneers of making a whole album with with the Fairlight. yeah and tony mansfield was obviously the person behind naked eyes yeah, he's yeah. now doing the same with vicious pink mm -hmm. as they are now called because um, so when um so when um dave ball left they changed their name from vicious pink phenomena or sorry when they they were Vicious Pink Phenomena as the backing group to Soft Cell. Mm -hmm. And then when they went on their, on own, their own, they just called themselves Vicious Pink. Right. So um, the B-side, one of them, 8.15 to Nowhere, was recorded using a Roland TB-303. And while Mansfield and Moss were recording it, Warden was watching a Jerry Lee documentary and requested they recorded a cover of Great Balls of Fire, which was a Jerry Lee hit. Um, so Great Balls of Fire became another B-side. So both B-sides were then recorded on the same day at Eden Studios. That's just so random. Never heard of a double B. And then their follow-up single to that was a double A of Fetish oh, you know. and Spooky. But okay. didn't do as well as Kukukuk Can't You See. I feel like the bloke from um, Open All Wells, Gugugu Granville, Kukukuk Can't You See. So, following a release of re a remix of Kukukuk Can't You See, which only just got inside the top 100, oh, the wow. duo recorded what was to be their final single in 1986, Take Me Now which didn't chart, following the release of a self-titled album, which failed to chart, the duo ceased recording. Did they not hit anywhere else then? No. Nope. They were a literal flop. Yeah. So, um, Tony Mansfield's career, I just want to pick, because obviously he's had quite a bit to do with, you know, Two Maybe groups guys. in these, yeah, in these. Yeah. So, and we've obviously spoke about his actual group. Yeah, I was going to say, but he was then in an actual group that did well. That was soft. Well, he started off in the actual group. No, no, oh, no. Yeah, Dave Ball was the original Dave person behind them. Yeah. He then obviously, when Soft Seal took off, he yeah. then obviously stepped back they, from Vicious yeah. Pink. They bought in yeah. Tony Mansfield. So Tony Mansfield's career 
as a freelance producer had begun pre-new music in yeah. the late 1970s and then after the demise of new music he turned exclusively to production mansell became skilled in the use of the fairlight cmi and as i said naked eyes were seen as the, the pioneers of using it and used it extensively throughout the 1980s and worked with a number of successful albums and singles or sorry worked on a number of successful albums and singles for various artists most notably naked eyes who are seen as one of the first bands to make significant use of the Fairlight CMI, as I've said, and as yeah. we went into detail last week. Captain Sensible, Aha's debut album, Hunting High and Low, oh. Vicious Pink, and the B-52's album, Bouncing Off the Satellites. Mansfield was born in Wimbledon, and was the main songwriter producer for synth pop band New Music between 1979-1982 and wrote their hit Living by Numbers. Oh. There you go. So he's, you know, he's done bits. He's not. Yeah, so he's not seen he as not, one of the, like you know, when we talk about 80s producers, you're... you're talking um, Maroda as a disco king as he was trevor horn and obviously at the end of it it was mm. stock Aitken and waterman but yeah Man's he's not a big name um, no but the but, groups he dealt then, with wasn't big either i was going to say but then the, yeah baraha and obviously danny new music and b52s made it all right didn't they so he's he's got his name out there just not as much as, as no but the main thing he's known for was the synthesizer, and obviously, oh, yeah, and obviously you know. his production is very specific. Like you say, the main thing he's known for is the synthesizer, so his is very specific. Whereas others are more varied and able to kind of help a bit of everyone, I suppose. Mm. So, no albums to talk of, really. As I say, it didn't chart. So. Um, 1983, Je t'aime, moi non plus. Number 84, as Vicious Pink Phenomena. Oh, so that's their first one. And also it would be yeah. pro pronounced Je t'aime. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know me and pronunciation. Say it as it is. Je t'aime. Je t'aime. Well, yeah, done well in French. Apparently not. Um, it's got a fun beat to it. It's got a very long intro. And what I did like, so you sent me this one after the rest. So obviously when I've listened, this was the last one. Of yeah, because it didn't come up because it's down as Vicious Pink Phenomena, not yeah. Vicious Pink. So it wasn't yeah. until I was writing, I found out that's what they started off as. Yeah. And obviously yeah. the Jet M was their first release and it did get in the top 100 and it was... You know, the link was with Soft Cell, which obviously I didn't know at the time until obviously oh. reading and writing. Yeah, but it in Jetame, it's got male vocals in it as well. So I was like, oh, this is different. And also part of it sang in a different language, which explains the title. But yeah, it's got a nice beat. Okay. So... We move on to 1984. Can't you see? 
got to number 67. It was then re-released in 1985, but only got to 95. <laughs> Oh, oh, sorry, got re-released in yeah 1985 and got and got to number 95. Mm. Uh, this was my favourite. It's very heavy on the synths. Um, it's and have you? I don't know if you've listened to it, but the chorus, the can't bit, it just and like other bits in the single as well, sound like a record skipping. If you know what I mean, like some uh-huh. people don't have a clue because nowadays it's all streaming but even with cds when they like decided to skip that's what it sounds like um not got a bad chorus and i remember really liking this one so when i re-listened i was like oh yeah this is the one that i liked so yeah this is my favorite okay well it was also their biggest hit um because 1985's double a of fetish and spooky got to number 87 oh dear well Fetish was more talking than singing, bit of a weird one. And Spooky was very fast-paced. It's more instrumental than vocal. Okay. So we move on to Blue Nile. Yes. So I've gone with just pop for these. They've got the standard 80s vocals with the male. Um, their songs are always about someone or relationship. It can be quite depressing when you sit and listen to them for a while. They like a long song as well. Um, like you've got a couple of six-minute songs. So that was fun. But they really tune in with their feelings and sometimes it can be quite beautiful. When you then listen to them one after another, they kind of all start blended into one. Um, as for the artists i think they're a trio they're like clones of one another they kind of all look the same and the lead vocalist doesn't have much emotion when he's singing there's not much going on in his face um comments that i found were one of the most underrated bands of the 80s what a band what fantastic lyrics and tunes and buchanan's i'm guessing that's buchanan 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 Buchanan, yeah, that's, yeah. Buchanan's voice is just stunning. This band is a total one of a kind. So much passion and focus into the music. To me, this is absolutely enduring. Tears in my eyes every time I hear them. A beautiful arrangement of a fabulously sim- simple and moving song. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to own up here. While I was writing my notes, I, got, I, listened, to, I listened to what was available. And mm. I like Blue Nile. Okay. Yes. Mm. I like them. Uh, what did you think they were, did you say? Pop. I just went with okay. pop. Well, then I'm like, mm. oh, I don't really know. Because yeah. they're not like the upbeat pop that you know pop has. They're just, they're just singing. But, yeah, I went with mm. pop. Okay. So Blue Nile, as you've already said, Paul Buchanan, vocals and guitar. Robert Bell on bass and Paul Joseph Moore on keyboards. They were formed in 1981 in Glasgow, Scotland, and they are a sophisti pop, synth pop, art rock group band. Whatever you want to say, it's a band song. That's sophisti pop's back that I. Yeah, I love sophisti pop. 
Um, so the band's early music was built on synthesizers and electronic drums, although later works featured guitars. The Blue Nile gained critical acclaim for its first two albums, A Walk Across the Rooftops and Hats, and had some commercial success in both the UK and the US. So the band started out as McIntyre, named after the John McIntyre Building, which was the university's admin offices where the band members met. A story behind that. Uh, yes. Well, that was their original name. But, um, yeah. they, then, they then called themselves Night by Night, although Buchanan has since said Night by Night only played twice, maybe three times. <laughs> so not oh, very so often. That did not last long. So if you were one of those that went to a Night by Night gig, well done. Because they, they didn't last. So they had several lineups during McIntyre Night by Night. And by 1981, the band were down to three, Buchanan, Bell and Moore. They decided not to recruit anyone else and called themselves the Blue Nile after the title of the 1962 book by Alan Moorhead. So it's not much of a story behind that. No. Um, so the trio raised enough money to record and release their first single, I Love This Life, on their own Peppermint Records label. Only a few limited were produced, but one copy found its way to RSO Records, who licensed the single for distribution, but almost as soon as the record was re-released, RSO went bankrupt. And the, um, the, uh, the record label was absorbed by Polygram and the single disappeared. That's gutting. Yeah. So they just didn't have the lucky break. Um, as we said time and time again, and the big one that we've come um, across was furniture. Um, so the band continued to play gigs around Glasgow and started writing more songs to play alongside the cover versions they were playing. Having no drummer and limited musical ability, particularly with Buchanan's guitar playing, the band adopted an atmospheric electronic approach. The most common early story about the Blue Nile is that they were approached by a local hi-fi manufacturer, Lynn Products. So hence the Lynn drum that we spoke about with um, the previous band, Vicious Pink. They said talked about a Lynn drum, which I'm guessing yeah. is the same people. The same, yeah. um, so Lynn Products. Um, so the... the uh, Lynn asked the band to produce a song that would showcase the Lynn equipment. Lynn was so pleased with the resulting record that it offered the Blue Nile a contract to make a whole album and even set up its own record label to release it on. However, both Buchanan and Moore have categorically denied that Lynn approached them or that the record company influenced the album's sound, which was obviously electronic, which was what was Lynn's, you know, main thing, yeah. their product. Um, in any way at all, with more saying it's a myth that we were a hi-fi band signed to a hi-fi label. God, so if that was true, they've mm. just done them dirty, but no one will really ever mm. be able to prove it. Yeah, yeah. So the single that was recorded for Lynn was Tinseltown in the Rain, 
which led to Lynn offering a contract with its record label, although the band took nine months to sign the contract. So whether they were hoping someone else, something else would come, I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, nothing did, so hence they ended up signing with a record label, um, as they said, a hi-fi company label. You sound a bit arrogant in a way. So. I guess you've got to back yourself, but that's so, yeah. just a bit much, isn't it? So with the contract eventually signed, their first album, A Walk Across the Rooftops, was released in May 1984. Bear in mind, they, they formed in 1981. Yes, we're just releasing the first album. But then, so, to be fair to them, they were signed and their single got lost. Yeah, yeah. So almost three years after the band was formed, as I just said. So Tinseltown, In the Rain, reached number 28 in the netherlands but it didn't chart anywhere else like these little bands you know they come up quite a lot Them so the band yeah the band started recording their second album immediately after finishing their promotion work on a walk across the rooftops in 1984 lynn even paid for the band to go to a house in galan near the castle sound studios where the previous album was produced. However, sessions for the new album hit problems almost immediately, as the band did not yet have enough material to make an album. So in other words, they've been sent off to this house, quickly get another album out, but they haven't got any material to make an album with. Or make any music, like they've got yeah. nothing. So being in a house in close proximity of each other, all the time it wasn't long until arguments developed among the homesick bandmates exhausted and stressed their problems were compounded when virgin records to whom lynn records had licensed the blue niles records with began legal proceedings so the reason obviously lynn wanted the band to quickly get another album out was they had a deal with virgin records oh so it's all a bit of a dodgy dealing yeah, really well. think about it so um so virgin records began legal proceedings against Lynn Records, demanding new material. Buchanan told Uncut magazine in 2013, we were up against the wall, living away from home, no money, miserable, getting sued. We were absolutely zonked and the record company weren't happy. Everyone around us was starting to think this album is never going to get made. It was just exhausting. Wow. That's so after... Well, yeah, it gets worse. After almost three years in the studio, which produced virtually nothing, having began and scrapped several songs, the band were then forced to vacate Castle Sound to make way for another virgin band. Although this band, It's Immaterial, also ran into difficulties making their second album, Song, and overran their allotted time as well. So it just seemed like virgin who were i guess around that time were quite new on the scene they wanted to get in against you they know wanted... the bigger ones mm. and they were buying or you know buying the licenses from these smaller record companies but i'm um, just wanted to get get records out or albums out as quick as anything yeah. the problem was no one thought about the actual musicians Actually. who were having to write and record the music and 
if you know if you haven't got any ideas or can't think you know and if you're being rushed and you're right. stressed and you're exhausted it's it's i can only you can can't, can't even think to imagine what what it was like yeah. so anyway so so they've been kicked out of the the studio so the blue nile went back to glasgow and being freed from time constraints and back in familiar surroundings this helped buchanan overcome his writer's block they later returned to Castle Sound in 1988. Fena went in there at 1984, so we're now four years, to okay. complete the album Hats, which was finally released in October 1989. Five years after their debut album. I was going to say, like, they've only had one album so far. So... Yeah. So the worst thing that was done was to take them out of Glasgow and put them into this studio, living together and everything. They were homesick. They were arguing. So they were living on top of each other. It just wasn't the right surroundings. They're not living. So where are they going to get their inspiration from when they're nowhere that they're used to? Yeah, well, that's it. They were homesick. To each other. So you've got no inspiration and you're hating your life. Yeah. So the album also had the band's biggest charting or highest charting single released from it in the UK with Saturday Night. So it just shows you they couldn't think of anything in three years while cooped up in the studio or near the studio in a house. As soon as they go back to Glasgow and doing their own thing, the writer's block goes and they write their best material. And it's funny seeing like, thinking about these songs and obviously knowing the backing stories behind them where they've come and whatnot and looking at what I've thought about the songs it's quite interesting to see the difference as well in my opinion as well as what I've heard if you know what I mean yeah because I definitely heard there's something different about Saturday Night basically so it's quite interesting So the band would go on to release a further two albums, Peace at Last in 1996 and High in 2004. Wow, so they went on for a while, but then again, say they went on for a while. They take a lot of time to do an album. Yeah. Yeah. So High became the band's only top 10 album in the UK and also saw its lead single, I Would Never, become their second highest charting single in the UK. Wow. However, during the recording of High, old tensions between the band members resurfaced, and Buchanan has since commented in 2012 that the album was finished out of a sense of duty and loyalty rather than any willingness to do so. So even though it's their best album, it sounds like there wasn't a lot of effort put into it. It was more a matter of we must do it rather than we want to do it. And isn't it crazy if they didn't get cooped up for each other out of Glasgow, having to spend all that time together, they might not have hated one another. They might have actually still got on. Although this is quite some time after that. Yeah, but it must have still affected them. Well, yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Uh, During preparations for a tour in February 2005 to promote the album, Moore stopped contacting Buchanan and Bell and didn't show up for the tour. Buchanan and Bell still toured England, Scotland and Ireland between May and November 2006. However, they billed themselves as Paul Buchanan sings the songs of the Blue Nile, refraining from calling themselves simply the Blue Nile as a mark of respect for Moore's absence, even though it was Moore that decided to 
go, but also, didn't let them know. <laughs> if they toured as Blue Nile, would he technically still get a bit of money because he is part of Blue Nile? Well, he'd have probably got some money anyway because they still put as singing the songs of Blue Nile. If he was, I mean, it would have depended if he how much what credit he had to the writing of any songs that they sing more than anything else. That's true. So although no official statement has ever been released to clarify whether or not the Blue Nile still exists, the indications are that the band has split up for good. So there we go. Tensions, tensions. I, but I, like, I like their music. I um, listened to a few of their songs and I thought, actually, this is quite good. Fair enough. So the Blue Nile. 1984, Tinseltown in the Rain, which, as I say, was recorded as a song to promote Lynn's record. They went to them and said, can you do us a, a song? And they liked this song, and hence they got an album deal out of it. So it got to number 87. I mean, uh, I don't think there's much body to it. That was probably my least favourite of them. It's very slow, not much going on. Not fair. Okay. 1984, Stay got to number 97 it's very repetitive in the music and what makes me sad is i think it could be a good song but if they changed in the tempo they just stayed the same throughout okay 1989 the downtown lights number 67 and this one very depressing very slow not good then. Mm -mm. Okay. 1990, Headlights on the Parade, number 72. This was nearly my favourite. There is a six minute version of this song. So I actually listened to that. Well, because that was the video. So thanks. But it's got a good beat and the vocals are really calming. Like it does something to me where I'm like, oh, I could just like chill to this song like really kind of just brings you back down to earth and relax almost i like that about it okay 1991 saturday night number 50 so this one this is what i mean i noticed a bit of a difference there's a difference in the music like it gets a bit less synth if right and there's more of a range in the vocals so it's got a bit more to it you know, we're getting out of just the calm and depressive stage. But lyrically, it weren't the best. 1996, Happiness, number 82. This was my favourite. I really, really, like, it was just stripped back and pure. And I really, like, in particular, I really enjoyed towards it. Well, it was like the three minutes mark. There's a like singing of just repetitive of singing happiness, but it's like loads of different people singing it. And I was like, this is just beautiful. But my favourite. 2004, I would never, number 52. I heard a little bit of change in vocals in this one. Um, weren't sure how I felt about that, um, but they just kept it simple with that. Okay. So that was the Blue Nile. Mm -hmm. Moving on, the Chameleons. 
I have gone with rock. I feel like there's probably going to be some subgenre of rock, but I've gone rock. Four males. One of them's got a really husky voice. And I think this is rock that I can like. So there's not many videos. So like I say, I looked at photos. I'm sure I recognise someone in the band. Um, When you say the names, I'll tell you whether I like. Is there anyone? I don't know. But one of them looks familiar. They've got, in their album covers, they're very gothic and weird looking. Like, I've had snakes. I've had rams. I've had weird faces. I've had weird colours. So that was very interesting. Like it showed their very gothic-y rock side. Um, and comments. The chameleons are a religion in Manchester. Never really appreciated elsewhere as much, which is a travesty. They were never goth, just post-punk. But it was that glorious guitar that ran up and down the fretboard in a romantic way. Outstanding music. Do you see what I mean by 80s fans really put thought into their music? Like, I've never known. I mean, I don't really look at comments when I watch video. I don't really watch videos apart from to do with this. But people really think about things. (laughs) Whereas I don't. Maybe I should be thinking about it a lot more. But, (laughs) yeah. People really go into it. But yeah, not much to say about them, to be fair. Like, it's quite hard when there's no, no videos because I can't get much from them. I can't get any of their style or anything. It's all of the listening. And obviously, when I'm listening, I'm thinking of what I think of each each song. So I don't want to put too much of that in there, in my opinion. You know what I mean? I think that's what I found like hardest with these ones that don't have hits there's not much to go on okay so the chameleons mark burgess vocals and bass reg smithies on guitar dave fielding on guitar and john lever on drums also during live shows they had a couple of keyboardists with alistair luthwaite and andy clegg but they were just on live shows but i don't understand how you can have keyboardists on live shows but no keyboardists in the group i'm a bit don't don't get that but anyway but the main thing is i don't recognize any of those names no and when you said it i did think who are you on about because um yeah i'll have to show you he does look very familiar maybe you'll think he does or maybe i'm just going mad who knows yeah so formed in 1981 middleton greater manchester they are gothic rock new wave band so you were right so the band released their debut studio album in 1983 script of the bridge which got to number 11 on the indie album chart while the lead single as high as you can go also charted highly in the indie singles chart at number seven although its second release from the album was released commercially up the down escalator it only charted at number 181 in the uk top 200 and that says a lot because we never go to 200 (laughs) they followed that release with their second studio album what does anything mean basically in 1985 which the single singing rural britannia while the walls close in was released and got to number two in the uk indie charts well they're doing well in the indie charts yes but not in the mainstream no 
Their final album, Strange Times, released in 1986, which had two singles released commercially, Tears and Swamp Thing, with both breaking into the UK Top 100 singles chart. The band abruptly broke up in 1987 following the sudden death of their manager. Burgess and Lever formed The Sun and the Moon, while Fielding and Smithies formed The Reegs, or The Regs, R-E-E-G-S. So because their manager passed away, they were like, now we're not continuing. And then they both went into duos and formed their own groups, yeah. Burgess also had a short solo career with backing band Sons of God. In 2000, the Chameleons reformed and released a fourth studio album, Why Call It Anything, in 2001, as well as two acoustic albums, Strip in 2000, which was before this next album, and This Never Ending in this never ending now in 2002 so they had an acoustic album then they had a studio album and then they had another acoustic album however renewed tension saw the band split up again in 2003 with burgess and lever continuing to perform as perform chameleon tracks live with their new project chameleons vox v-o-x Although Lever later left that group and unfortunately died in 2017. In so 20... they didn't try again. But didn't yeah, go. it was. I mean, yeah, it's another project, just the two of them. In 2021, Burgess and Smithies reformed the Chameleons with two members of the Chameleons Fox. So, so this the Chameleon... Burgess guy is really... He's been pretty much the, 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 yeah, he's been going the, the mainstay. The Chameleons are regarded as one of the most underrated Manchester bands of the 1980s, and although they did not attain the commercial success of other bands from the Manchester scene, they did develop a cult following. So that'll be this guy that's like, they're a religion in Manchester. Yes. The travesty, they're not anywhere else. But then it's funny because it's like, obviously I live near Manchester, and... I've never known, I mean, not that I'm friends with people of the 80s, but, you know, like, people, like, Connor's nan comes from Manchester, and so does his auntie, and yet they've never said or mentioned about them. So, but then if they had a cult following, maybe they're rock, aren't they? It's just funny how they can be so underground. So, the chameleons. 1983, as high as you can go, as I've already said, got to number seven in the indie charts. Yep. Um, this was my favourite. It's catchy. It's just my type of song. It's like right up there. It's got a bit of everything. It's not too rocky either, considering they're rock. It's more of a, no, nah, I don't want to say a pop song, but it's definitely got more to it. Okay. 1985, Singing Wall at Britannia, While the Walls Close In, as I said already, got to number two in the indie charts. Uh, And this was the most rock song of theirs. I don't really know what they're singing, and I don't even know if they sing the words Rule Britannia in it at all, to be honest. But yeah, it's a bit too rocky, and it's a very big change from as high as you can go. 1986, Tears, number 85. This has got a good beat, and it's very upbeat. Like, it's as much as, like, 
we say they're rock. Like I say, this is rock that I can like. So these songs that they've got, Bar singing Royal Britannia, they're very upbeat within their rock, if that makes sense. Like, uh-huh. It's not too harsh at all. 1986 Swamp Thing, number 82. Ooh, this is very catchy. And if you listen to the lyrics, they are very random. Like at one point, they start singing about bacon. It's oh, very right. odd. Very odd. And there's other bits that they sing about. But yeah, it's a very random lyrical song. Okay. Moving on then to Huskadoo. Mm-hmm. So these again have gone with rock. I think they're a trio. And if I was to, so this week I've not really listened to any more, just listened to what you've given me because the least I had was two. Um, and also with like their style, they look like standard rock stars with the long hair, the leather, everything like that. So I'm like very intrigued how they went that way. So I kind of wish I did listen to more to get more of an opinion on them, but I didn't. And obviously I was fair all the way through. I didn't listen to more of any of them. Um, they do live performances so this one was one where I saw some videos and whoever was filming it was really good because it weren't just like a full view of them they'd zoom in on the different um, artists within the band and it was just really good it was a really good filming and the way the editing got put together it was just really good Um, and comments this was the only one that really stuck out to me it was Man, if this song came out during the grunge craze, it would have been huge. It's so catchy. And that was about, do you want to know if you are lonely? Okay. Huskadur. Greg Norton on bass and vocals. Grant Hart as the drummer. And Bob Mould also as vocals and guitar. So the two vocalists. Doesn't say which one was the lead vocalist, so... But one was obviously bass with vocals, the other was guitar with vocals, and then, as I say, they had the drummer. So they were formed in 1979 in St. Paul, Minnesota, US. They are a punk rock alternative rock band. So the band originally started out with keyboardist Charlie Pine as Buddy and the Returnables. Bit random, but so is a Huskadoo, but. So, yeah, so Hart worked as a sales clerk at Cheapo Records in St. Paul, a record store, which Mould often frequented. Hart and Mould bonded over a shared love for the Ramones, while Hart and Norton had originally met when applying for the same job which Norton got. So when Mould and Hart formed the band they enlisted norton and pine to join however after gigging playing mostly cover songs as buddy and the returnables unbeknown to pine the other band members disliked the sound of the band with the keyboards and began practicing without pine and writing their own songs okay so they're a, obviously wanting to be a rock band, and rock bands mm. don't have keyboardists. No, so kind of. But then they didn't really tell him they were going. They just no, no, they don't. Just like they yeah, just left him behind. Do you, you like the keyboards? No, I'm not that fussed on the keyboard. What about you? No, no. Well, let's just 
you know, go and do it, our own thing. It's as if he's not Are there, you going to tell him? I'm not telling him. You tell him. I'm not telling him. Yeah, but they didn't. Okay. <laughs> in this imagine. So, yeah. So the new name came about after they rehearsed a Talking Heads track, Psycho Killer, and unable to recall the French portion sung in the original Quest Secourcest, I'm sure, clear I'm not going to be <laughs> saying that right, but uh, say it as you see it, Quest Secourcest, they instead started shouting out any foreign language words they could remember, including the title of the popular 1970s memory board game, Haskadur, meaning do you remember in Danish and Norwegian? And the name stuck. Fair enough. So that was it. They were cov doing a cover of a Talking Heads track, which had a bit of French in it. Like me, they couldn't remember it or couldn't pronounce it. So they made up their own versions. And one was this, as I say, this this memory board. game, board game, in which had a... a so it's a memory board gang called Huskadur, which act, which means do you remember which you know would be a good thing for a memory board game do you remember but yeah. it's in danish and norwegian so yeah so the band issued their debut studio album everything falls apart on reflex records in 1983 then after signing with sst solid state tuners an independent record label they released 1984's Zen Arcade, which reached number 11 on the UK indie album chart. Then, on the back of that success, they released two albums in 1985, January's New Day Rising, which got to number 10 on the UK indie chart. So these past two bands are doing well on the indie charts, aren't they? Yeah. And um, in September 1985, they released Flip Your Wig, which gave them their only number one when it reached that landmark in the UK indie chart. Again. While its lead single, Makes No Sense At All, reached number two on the UK indie singles chart. Wow. So they had the number one album and the number two single. So these guys are not doing big on mainstream, but indie they are. So they're getting mm. hits aren't they yeah just a shame they didn't then get the commercial success so on the back of that the band signed with warner brothers in 1986 although the success the trio gained on their independent record label didn't transfer over for their commercial releases as their 1986 album candy apple gray didn't chart in the UK and only made 140 on the US Billboard Hot 200 and 93 in Canada, although it did chart well in New Zealand at number 28. Oh, of all the places. So, yes. Their final studio album, Warehouse Songs and Stories, released in 1987, did chart in the UK at number 72 and fared better in the US at number 117 in the Billboard Hot 200. However, it didn't do as well in Canada at number 97 or New Zealand, where obviously they did well in the first one, with number, mm. this time it only got to number 31. Still good. That's still better than anywhere else. Yeah. So after being released by Warner Brothers, the band broke up 
although a live album recorded on their final tour was released by Rhino Records in 1994. However, Mould has since said he's never listened to this album. Mould has commented on the breakup as three people going their separate ways, ways, referring to Hart's drug use, Norton's recent marriage and new business, and Mould himself quitting a lifelong drink habit. Well, I guess that's one way of putting it, going your three separate ways. But then when you go, when you do delve into it and say what they were all doing. Yeah. Drummer Greg Hart died of liver cancer in September 2017, aged 56. Bless him. So, on to their singles. Only two. 1986, Don't Want to Know If You Are Lonely, got to number 96. So this was my favourite one. Um, The sound of it... Remind me of something that you could find on Guitar Hero, and it's fast paced, it's got a good chorus. Like this one really stuck out to me, I really enjoyed this one. Okay, and then 1985 makes no sense at all, as I've already said, got to the indie chart number two. Mm. And weirdly, this one didn't hit as much with me, which is why I also want to be like. It's why I should have listened to more, really, because they were quite two different opinions. Although, make no sense to it was catchy, it was a head bopper. It just weren't as up there with, do you know, do you want to know if you're lonely? Okay. We'll move on to the Breakfast Club. Mm-hmm. I've gone with just New Wave for these. I'm not quite sure of a genre, so I went middle. Um, they're different to what I've heard so far this week. I'm confused by their style, but I looked at photos, right? So they look like rock stars with leather vests, long hair. Their music just doesn't give off that vibe, which is also why I went for New Wave, because I'm like, okay, they're not giving off that vibe, but they look like that vibe, so I'm not sure what's going on there. Um, and the lead vocalist, well, I think they're the lead vocalist, because obviously I'm only looking at... Um, pictures there's four four of them um one of them can really pull off a hat um they look like all males there's four sure they're all males um and then comments so there was only one comment Mm, no yeah one comment is quite a lengthy one so breakfast club a band polished like a diamond was part of the beginnings of Madonna, Stephen Bray and Dan Gilroy, right? So I'm guessing there are people in the band now you've spoken about there being a big person. But when I read that, because of how it then goes on, whose creativity and talent each define their own style of music until they reach success. <laughs> Dan Gilroy with a unique voice combined with the pop sound of his great songs like Right on Track, Never Be the Same, Kiss and Tell, and his spontaneity, great humour and genius in his videos, enshrines him as one of the most influential artists of the 80s. So I misread that completely and thought because of influential artists of the 80s, I thought they influenced Madonna. Not that she was in the band, but now reading it with the thing of there being someone big, I'm guessing she was in the blooming band. We shall I see. did not see her. So, yeah, I'm very intrigued now because I swear I did not see any females 
in this band. So, Breakfast Club. Dan Gilroy on vocals. Ed Gilroy on guitar. Gary Burke on bass. And Stephen Bray on drums. See, there is no man. They were formed in 1979, New York City, US, and they are a synth-pop new wave band. So the band had several lineups, including future pop star Madonna on drums and Angie Smith on bass. Founder and lead singer Dan Gilroy was briefly Madonna's boyfriend. And he eventually allowed her to sing some lead vocals. Madonna left to form a new band, Emmy and the Emmys. And then when Madonna started her solo career, Gary Burke, bass player, well, bassist Gary Burke and drummer Stephen Bray joined the Breakfast Club from Emmy and the Emmys. Right, okay. That's thrown my mind. That explains why I didn't see a female. That she was with them at the I very would... start. She was yeah. their first and drummer. Yeah, and then it also explains why I've not taken that comment as a literal that she was in the band because I've just seen Madonna and seen Influential and thought they influenced her somehow, or she was it? Nah, or she was influenced? Nah. I thought they influenced her somehow. But that's mad. And the fact that Dan Gilroy allowed her to sing, well, good on her for leaving him and going off and doing her own thing. <laughs> Allowing. Who does he think he is? And her as a drummer. I didn't know she could do anything but sing. So the band signed to ZE Records in 1984 and released Rico Mambo as their first single, although it didn't chart. Three years later, and I guess this is where they didn't... Obviously, Madonna and Angie Smith left. So there's mm-hmm. just still the two Gilroy brothers. Yeah. Um, and then when Madonna's band, Emmy and the Emmys, after she obviously went on to do right. hers, so, they yeah. then joined forces with the two people that, funny enough, so, replaced Madonna and Smith. And mm-hmm. that's when they obviously then, three years later, in 1987, they signed to MCA Records and released so, their only album. Really? the band is more known as the Stephen Bray, Dan Gilroy and the other. Oh, yeah, it is. But it's also known as the, where Madonna started. If you were to um, Google, Wikipedia, other, I'm sure there is other um, reference sites. Madonna, I'm sure the Breakfast Club would get a worthy mention. And that will come a bit later when I explain why. So... They released their only album, Breakfast Club, which reached number 43 on the Billboard Hot 200 and number 26 in Australia. The lead single, Right On Track, reached number 7 on the Billboard Hot 100, as well as number 7 on the Billboard Dance Chart. It also charted inside the UK Top 100, and in New Zealand, it peaked at number 30. But its best charting position was in Australia, where it reached number four. A second album was recorded in 1988. However, it was rejected by MCA and was never released. And shortly afterwards, the band broke up. Now, in 2008, an American news website, The Daily Beast, published a previously 
unreleased tape of The Breakfast Club. The tape included pillow talk between Madonna and Dan Gilroy, as well as several unheard songs, such as Tell the Truth, which Madonna has since said is the first song she ever wrote. Oh. Wow. Okay. So there you go. So that yeah. So Breakfast Club were quite a you know, a not a large chunk, a obviously, but they were the start for Madonna to, to, to write music and, you know, um, I suppose some um, experiment and things, you know. So mm-hmm. she then went on and done her own thing with Emmy and the Emmys and then obviously got the confidence to then just go alone. But it started wow. at the Breakfast Club. Wow. And just while you were talking then, um, before you said that bit about Madonna, I quickly looked up. Did you know that there's a... Because uh, you're like, if you go on a certain Wikipedia, was that fine? I'm going to see how much of an insight this is. Did you know there's a film called Madonna and the Breakfast Club? I did not know, but there you so go. There's a documentary story of Madonna's struggling days in New York with her first band, Breakfast Club, leading to her first solo record. Deal. I might there give it a go. watch now. There you That's go. Quite interesting. And like to think that, yeah, these kind of, if she weren't in this back, so okay, yeah, Dan Gilroy giving her the, I'll allow you to sing, them being together, I guess it got her in that band. And like you say, gave her the confidence to yeah. write music and go off and do her own thing, I guess. But still, yeah. I did not know that. Um, um, well. I wonder how many people do know that. Mm. And I did not know Madonna was American then. Madonna's American then. Cause yeah. American. I did not know yeah. she's American. She talks like really? a British person. No, she's American. She has a British accent. She, well, the, um, Americans speak British, but or English. No, she has but a British accent, American. not an American accent. No. She doesn't have an American well, accent. I legit thought she was British. Until this no. very day. But I legit thought Madonna was just Madonna until this very day. Didn't know she could be against Madonna. But apparently she yeah. was in the mad. And a drummer. Yeah. Well, let's just say you have really educated me there. So 1997, right on track, got to number 54. Okay. It's quite electronic. 1988, Never Be the Same, number 91. Okay, this was my favourite. It's upbeat, quite poppy. It's a head bopper. And the instruments are really good in it. Like, it's got nice elements from all of the instruments used, whatever instruments were used, because God knows when there's, like, keyboards involved. But, yeah, it was, that was a really good one. Okay. So now we'll move on to ACT. The final mm-hmm. act of episode 22. You clever. I have yeah. gone with Synth Pop. They've got a female lead vocalist. They're a five piece, I think. And the female vocalist has got a very distinct and unique voice. And like a lot of people in the comments, I'm guessing her name is Claudia. And when people talk about Claudia and the voice, I'm guessing that's her. But 
and there's been ones like Claudia is the best voice of the 80s. They were all like that. Um, so there's four men and they kind of all take a back seat, but not in that way. It's just in their style. They all wear similar and that's normally black. And then the female, Claudia, I'm guessing, they let her take the lead, but she's not like an out there lead. She still wears black, but she's definitely the forefront of the band. She definitely has that look. And over time, she matures a lot with her looks um, and she gets a lot like, I don't know, a lot more classic. Um, Like back in the day, she had a lot of heavy makeup. And she looks a bit like Cher, but I don't know. <laughs> like, not that she is, but I mean, like, she maybe she. Uh, when was Cher? Was she? She's the eighties, isn't she? She was. Well, she was before as well. Yeah. I mean, she's, so maybe yeah. I didn't know that she started off in the eighties. So with her starting before, maybe this Claudia person took a bit of a liking of her fashion sense and her makeup. And I just feel like maybe she was a bit influenced by her on her looks a bit, just not with the hair, with like the face and how her makeup was done. Don't know. I just got that from her. Um, And comments as well as obviously Claudia is the best voice of the eighties. And there was one saying they should have been bigger, just such a marvelous sound. And it, and the sound doesn't age even in 2017 it knocks it knocks spots of some of today's music okay interesting so act were a duo thomas leah and claudia brooken on vocals come across her before a duo that was fine well i may have I, well it wasn't until i was because i think where i get my singles information from it got a bit confusing. So I gave you five songs. Yeah. By Act. The first yeah. three are by Act. The second yeah. the last two, so Something About You and Sing from the two thousands, are by a group called Act as well. However, that they are friends. A dot C dot T. But on the so on the official single chart where I get the information from, they're all listed as act. So I wrote them down and I've got them. I can tell you now, although it's nothing to do with this act, A.C.T. <laughs> in 2000 with Something About You got to number 95. And in 2014 with Sing, they got to number 85. A.C.T. is a Swedish prog rock band now, formed in 1995. So I have to go and Nothing to, to do with the 80s. Because you've given them to me. You've not retracted Well, it. I didn't know until I'm writing. I thought, well, where's this? Because these, as you'll find out, this, this, this duo, they, they, they departed and that was it. They, you know, gone way before this other group even formed and i'm like well how's they got singles in 2000 when and then i looked into it and well i looked up those songs to find out who the singers were and it's a dot c dot t not act right but so two things one there were still five people even in the snobbery and decay absolute immune and i can't escape from you that act that i'm meant to be listening to so oh, unless well, they had session oh, musicians in one of the videos there was 100 percent five they must have yes and while we're on a dot c dot t something about you i was listening to and when i looked it up on 
Spotify, I it weren't on there and there was only remixes and I was like, oh, I'm not going to listen to that. YouTube will have the original. Gone on to YouTube. They've only got remixes as well. So I only found remixes. Not much to say. Hated the remix. DJ Gary was the remix. Hated it. And then Sing could not find anywhere. So good job it weren't to do with ACT. Because I had it, th- there's nothing. And it got to this point of me not being able to find it anywhere. I went onto their discography on Wikipedia and I was like, it's not even on their discography. Now it explains why Sing wasn't on the Axe discography because it was not done by them. So thanks for that, Dad. But yeah, that was me trying to listen to the last two songs. I'm, I'm sorry, and I didn't know, but I thought, well, I'll explain that in this rather than phone you because I knew you was away and disturb you from listening to the good prog rock music well i didn't listen to sing so only listened to one and it was awful and that was the way i ended my week as well but hey ho okay so um acts were thomas lear keyboards and claudia brooken on vocals and we've come across claudia have we quite a few times so they were formed in 1987 in Glasgow, Scotland, and they are a synth pop band, not a prog rock band like A.C. <laughs> so ACT were a short-lived synth pop duo, and that's what I mean. I already knew that they were short-lived, and then suddenly I've got singles in the 2000s. I'm like, what's going on <laughs> So yeah, so they were a short-lived synth pop duo signed to ZTTT Records, that of Trevor Horn, who we've come across a lot of times. Obviously, Frankie Goes Hollywood. Um, Scottish musician Leah and German ex-propaganda vocalist Buchanan. Besides synth-pop and disco, the duo were also influenced by psychedelic rock and music theatre. Lyrically, their songs tended to be concerned with decadence and moral bankruptcy. The band dissolved shortly after the release of their debut and final album, A Laughter, Tears and Rage, in 1988. So they were only around for a year. Oh, so they really didn't try it. So although lead single Snobbery and Decay did get inside the UK Top 100 and even charted inside the Top 40 in Italy at number 38. Although the subsequent singles, Absolutely Immune and I Can't Escape From You, didn't chart, while a fourth single, Chance, was withdrawn on its day of release due to copyright issues surrounding unauthorised samples of ABBA. Stop. So, yes. So, Laughter, Tears and Rage was released, re-released in 2004 as a 3D, free CD box set. Right, yeah. Okay. So, it's gone from one album, they were only around for a year, so suddenly they've managed to get a free CD box set. And then in 2015, a two CD 30 track album, Act Love and Hate, was released. Is there new music on these albums? Or is it like that band that we had where they released one album and then had a greatest hit album as well? So no, they had only one album, Laughter, Tears and Rage. And then, as I say, that was then re-released as a, in 2004. So bear in mind, it came out in 1980, what did I say, 88. 
So then it was re-released in 2004, but as a free CD box set. And then in 2015, a two CD 30 track album, um, which is, I suppose, like a greatest hits, but it's called Act, Love and Hate. That was released. But how can you have a greatest hit when there's only one album? And we've had this before with someone else. That's what I just said. Is this like what we've had with someone else? One album, one greatest hits. But how do you go from a CD to a three disc box set? to a two-disc greatest, ha- greatest Hits type album without releasing any more music. It baffles me. I don't get it. Crazy. Yeah. But hey-ho, that's what they did, so... Hats off to them, I guess. In 1996, Buchanan, Buch- Buchan started working with OMD co-founder Paul Humphreys, which we did, as I say, we mentioned doing that when we'd done them. First without a name, and then from 2004 as 1-2. In March 2013, Buchan and Humphreys ceased working working and living together, and she returned to her solo career. Oh, fair enough. Okay. So, three songs from ACT. I won't um, Mm -hmm. go through. I've already gone through the other two, which weren't to do with this ACT. So 1987, Snobbery and Decay got to number 60. Um, I quite like the lyrics and the beat in this one. Um, I, her vocals in it, for me, were a bit strained. And I was like, oh, I'm not a fan of these vocals. Okay. 1987, Absolutely Immune, number 97. Now, this is my favourite. And I did just think then, what on earth would you have done if one of my favourites was from the other act? <laughs> it would have been screwed. Um, but this one was my favourite. It's upbeat, catchy. It's just got, like, a lot to it. Like, it's a lot... I don't know. It's a more 80s song in my head. And in 1988, I Can't Escape From You got to number 90. Okay, this one was probably the worst. It's quite heavy and loud music. It takes over the vocals for me. Okay. I'm not looking forward to this part. Not that I'm expecting to influence you too much because the 80s music scene listeners, buyers, weren't that influenced by these groups either. So, um, but we'll we'll find out what you thought of them anyway. (coughs) Vicious Pink. Should they have um, made it big or were the 80s um, listeners right to not go and buy their um, material? So I think for the 80s, they fit right in. And I think they could have done more. I think they, sh- I think they should have hit maybe a bit more. I think because they were heavily synth, they didn't bring anything new or different to the table when others were around doing the same thing. And I think that's why they didn't. But I think I, I think they could have pushed themselves more, beat out some of the other people. There's definitely worse ones than them. Okay. We move on to the Blue Nile. Um, yeah, I don't think these should have hit. Like, I think these are okay where they are. Uh, they haven't got that upbeat pop that was big in the 80s. They kept it the same, which is good for them. They're not following in the footsteps of anyone else. They're doing what they want. But there's a reason it didn't hit. And I think it's just 
it just didn't have much to them it was too soft they never had any upbeat tempos they didn't change any of it like I say they all rolled into one it got quite depressing so I can see why it didn't hit and yeah I agree shame because I, I did like some of their songs that I listened to I'll be honest mm, yeah. okay the chameleons uh I think these should have done better there was definitely room for them and um, they have a great sound I think they would have fit in the rock scene perfectly so I think I don't know what more they could have done but yeah I think uh, yeah so I maybe like people it. are right when they say they're underrated and probably you know one of the Manchester bands that should have done well when yeah. others you know yeah. the other Manchester bands did. did and for some reason they didn't they just didn't have the light on these mm. yeah Huskadu these definitely should have been bigger 100 percent um and this so this is what i've written maybe they were ahead of their time or maybe too late i don't know um but they should have been pushed more and i still can't work out i think they were maybe a bit i don't know i don't know where i don't know whether they were at the right time i think there was just some timing that was off with them somewhere okay breakfast club now i'm not 100 percent sure on these um by the comments i think other people would be like nah they should have been bigger but because there was only two from the two obviously that's not a lot to go off um i don't think they could have done any more and obviously with the way that they the people moved about i think it was they they'd done all that they could you know they had different people coming that still didn't push them but yeah so i'm gonna say no they, they you know they shouldn't have been a hit a no but, hit for the band that launched madonna yeah but madonna was a hit so who cares <laughs> and finally act um she's got a very distinct voice and i feel like it's very different but i don't think they did enough um but i think these have a very specific audience rather than being able to go out on the mainstream i think they're more underground i can't remember what you said about propaganda i don't think they were a hit either which funny enough same same lead singer mm. but i can't remember what you've thought of them so, so yes i think they were a hit no i don't think they've not straight come up in my head of anything okay so. so next week final week final week Wow. Of the bands. <gasps> Do you know what that means? The as well. That's of the band. Like the band, there's no more bands. They're going solo. But do you know what that also means? Yeah. It's closer to you listening to more music than you like. Yeah, loving it. Loving it. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, we get these group bands to you. So, are you ready yeah. next week? Bolshoi. Bolshoi. Okay. Information Society. Right. The Church. Okay. Pixies. Okay. When in Rome. Right. Love and Rockets. Okay. That's one thing, you know. There's some not odd names, like we've had some weird names, but with all of these, none of them are like normal, straightforward names. Mm-hmm. With all the ones that didn't hit. Maybe yeah. the name is a problem. I feel yeah. like I've said that before. Getting a bit mm. of deja vu. And we have come across a few that have the um 
record companies got people to change their names so maybe the people in the industry did know they did know things yeah. you know yeah so yeah they're not in the industry for no reason no okay mm. so what i shall do is get the uh the songs over to you there isn't many and um we will discuss that next week yes we shall indeed okay right. on that note i shall say good night okay and i'll speak to you next week okay <laughs>